Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, 6-12-2022, and we are ready to continue our service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here is the thought of the week for June 12, 2022. Salvation is the very beginning of our spiritual life. By turning our attention to growing up in our spiritual lives, we are in no way diminishing the priceless gift secured by Christ. However, I think there is undue emphasis spent on salvation. The religious world is spending their entire lives in pursuit of salvation as a tempting carrot that cannot, that cannot ever be realized. Real, uh, religion sees salvation has never really settled, which keeps most in hot pursuit of their salvation. This is awfully confusing and misleading to many. Let me say first, if you are not saved, you really should spend all of your time making sure that you have accepted God's gracious offer. The problem I see here is the disregard of God's way of salvation. What is disregarded is the fact that salvation is free. The fact that salvation is a free gift and not by our, not by our works at all tells us that we are not to spend our whole life working to be saved. And if you are not, um, and if we are not to spend all our time toiling for something that is absolutely free, then God must have something else for us to do while we are here on this earth after salvation. If we are not spending time focused on God's expectation after salvation, we are wasting our time and his time too. On top of all that, those pursuing the salvation by their works will never get it. Quote, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Unquote. And that's from Romans chapter 10, verse 2. As the psalm says, they will be, quote, forever running, but always losing the race, unquote. And that is the thought of the week. And I find, find it a little uh, challenging to add more to that because I don't know how else to emphasize that salvation is free. I guess one way to phrase it would be that um, would to ask a question, why chase something, something that is free and given to you by grace through faith? And in fact, why chase it at all? Because this thing is not even running from you. <laughs> it's being offered to you. So salvation is not something that you go toward. It's something that God is bringing to you. They, Jesus has done all the work. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So Christ has completely propitiated God. He has satisfied God um, in that payment. And what he now offers to us is basically free. So I ask the question again, why chase a free thing that is given to you by grace through faith? And that is the thought of the week. That is my commentary on the thought of the week. And now... Pastor Doug will give us a prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Dwight. Amen to that. Um, why? <laughs> but uh, let's take some time and 
ask, we'll, I think there are some prayer requests on the table, but if there are others that want to take a moment to just mention someone else's uh, situation, or we'll pause for just a moment. God knows our hearts, so all we have to do is, in our hearts, think about whatever situation, whatever uh, is concerning you or causing anxiety in your heart, you put it before God. And this is one of the provisions that he has for us <clears throat> in this world, because this world can be a worrisome place, especially with all the things that are going on, we could be occupied completely and never have a thought about God. But thank you, Lord. We're going to just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for life, health, and strength that we have. And we pray as we open our thoughts to you and are honest with you about who we are, uh, we come recognizing that everything that you have given us is for our good. We know the struggles that we are going through in this world are part of what you told us. In this world, we will have trouble. And because we don't belong here. So all of that says that you sent us here for a specific purpose. We're pilgrims and strangers to this world. Help us to know our identity, our true identity in Christ. So with that said, we thank you for the calling that we have, where you chose us in him before the creation of the world. We thank you for Jesus who sacrificed his life for us, paid for the sins of the world, and has given us his life before you as our righteousness. We thank you for those who are in this church, those who are, are here faithfully. And we, we thank you that we have a place where we can come and talk about your thoughts and we can express ours freely without judgment, with just allowing us to react and interact with your word of truth. So, Father, there are some things that, some names I want to uh, say for those. First, Father, is we, we know that Misty uh, and her dad and her mom and even Misty herself has been having some trouble. We're praying, lifting her up right now before you. We also, Lenora and Sneed family as well. Uh, we're praying for them. We know uh, there had been some surgery and some, she's still recovering from surgery. We're praying for her health, her healing. Uh, we pray for those who are still grieving. We're praying for another name, it's Gretel. You know what issues there are. We're also lifting up Fred in a special way, asking you whatever healing, whatever uh, put it in the doctors and those who are uh, dealing with uh, 
the struggles and stress that he is going through as well. We're praying for all, all of Word is Truth Christian Church, our extended families as well, asking that you will continue to watch over us and keep us so that when we come together, we can do exactly what we're doing today, which is thinking about you, keeping our thoughts on heavenly things, not on things on the earth. So we have this opportunity to segment our thinking so that we can be uh, influenced by the spirit of truth. All this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake, amen. All right, so we are, we're continuing where we left off in um, our study. We have reached uh, John 17 and verse 20. This is where we are. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So in your notes, <clears throat> have you ever read a passage that just jumps right off the page? Well, this passage before us is one of those passages for me. Not only is it full of depth and spiritual dynamics unheard of at the time, but it also speaks directly to us and about, it is about us. We all have read about those heroes of the faith who encountered God, like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what about David, Solomon, and Isaiah, Daniel, and Elijah? The list goes on. But all we can do is read about their lives and their dealings with the eternal God. But now, we have direct statements about us in the here and now. We are on the stand, and our spiritual lives and dealings with God are at center stage. What will you do with this unique spiritual life you have been given? Only you can answer that question mark. It's a big question mark, isn't it? I know it's not bigger than what's on the page, but it should be bigger in your heart. What will you do? Well, it remains to be seen, right? And I think you will have great opportunity for yourselves to answer that question. Uh, while you're here, as God willing, we should say. So let's dig in. So this, this verse is classic. Why? Because it ties a lot of other verses together. And it is the beginning of the end, the beginning of the end. It's the end of Jesus's prayer for the church. So it is important that we understand what his thoughts were about the church. And that's what we want to continue to dig into as we progress in this chapter. So it goes like this. My prayer is not for them alone. We're going to take that phrase and look at some of the points there and then we'll move to the next one. The first one is, this prayer caps off <clears throat> a discourse, uh, off a discourse night before, the, it should be the night before Jesus was arrested. I corrected my notes here. The night before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The importance of it 
cannot be more meaningful to us to understand this new age in which we currently live. So just understanding the timing of this prayer and how it, as I said, caps off this discourse that really started in 12. You go back to John 12, 13, but we picked up the discourse in chapter 14. And we went through 15 and 16, and now here we are in 17. The whole chapter of 17 is essentially the prayer of Jesus to the Father. This is right before he's taken into uh, captivity by the, the, the Jewish mob, let's just say. It was instigated by the temple guards and the, the, the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees. And you know, the betrayer, Jews, Judas, who came to identify Christ because it was dark. So he says, well, don't grab the wrong one. It's the one I kiss. That's the one that you should grab because he's going to be the one who you want. So they wanted to arrest him. So these are his last thoughts, his last thoughts before. And we get to know what was on his mind. And I think that's valuable. If you have a loved one who has passed, and whether it was sudden or whether it was a lingering illness, then your thoughts gravitate toward, wow, what was the, my last dealings with that person? What did they say? What did I say? What did, you know, you run those things around and around in your mind. Eventually, they, you begin to let that go, but it's important. What did they last say to you? What did you last say to them? And here we're talking about not just somebody who, one of our loved ones that has passed, but we're talking about the Lord, Jesus Christ. And what did he have to say about us? And this is about us. And this is why I say this is a precious verse, because it ties us into the unity of the Father's plan, what it was all about. And here we are seeing that we are at the center of it. Now, I can't make this up. I can't. It would be arrogance for me to say, I'm pushing myself into the center of God's plan. That would be arrogance. But I'm not the one who wrote these words. All I'm doing is believing what they say. I'm trusting that what they say is absolutely the word of God. And that's why we're here today. And that's why we're talking about such things. Yeah, so the prayer is important because it, it's not even a prayer where Jesus is instructing the disciples. It's a prayer to where he has pivoted from the disciples and is now talking to the Father about us. That's important. I just don't want to minimize this point of how important this, these words are to our spiritual lives. Point B. When we think about of Jesus departing his departing words in prayer to the Father, this ranks very high for us and raises our expectations, and I say, to the heavens. <laughs> and why do we say that? So if I'm going to turn to John 14, 2 and 3, 
uh, let's read it. John, this is some scripture, just some scripture to help us remind us of that point. 14.2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, it is absolutely so. Jesus wouldn't, he's saying, I wouldn't have told you that if it were not so. We have a place that Jesus is going to prepare for us in heaven. And it's his it's not just any old place or just a temporary place or some place where we just happen to cool our heels. It is a place where we belong. What we find out from other scripture is that we are not of this world. So the place that we belong ultimately is not here. It's up there in the heavenlies. So when I think about, he says, and if, Verse 3, and if I go, and he did go, and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I know this is said a lot at funerals, but man, the depth, the meaning of this, of what he's really saying, is not really related at a lot of funerals. Because he continues with this thought about who we are and this special place that has been prepared for us in the heavens. Right? Man was created to live on the earth. Adam was created and the dominion of the earth was given to him and so forth and so on. But there is a place for us. Jesus says, where I am, there you will be. If I, if this isn't, if I didn't really mean this, I'm not just saying this to make you feel good because you're upset that I'm going away. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this is absolutely so. That's what, what it is. And this discourse has been this way for us throughout. So uh, back to our notes. This is the point I'm making. And then <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says it as well. It says this, uh, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, and it tells us how he did it. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that's how we've been blessed in the heavenly realms. It's a place for us. It's where we belong. It's a calling. It's just, I chose them out of this world. They're no longer a part of the, the things that are going on down here. So a place has been prepared for us. Point C in our notes, back to our notes, not for them alone, right? So my prayer is not for them alone. This is not a general prayer. So I'm going to John's, back to John 17 in the Bible just to read verse 9. 17.9 says, I pray for them. Who's them? The ones he gave, the Father gave him, right? Uh, I am not praying for the world. So that is distinguishing 
that Christ's prayer is not some general prayer, you know, oh, Heavenly Father, this, and then I'm praying for this, and I'm praying for this. No, this is specific prayer, not general. I'm not praying for the world right now. I'm not praying for Gentiles or Jews or anything. I'm praying for this new plan that is being revealed by the Father through me. So it's not general. It's specific to the 11 disciples who were the fathers and were given to Jesus. That's verse 6. Let's look at that, what that says. He says, I have revealed you to those, notice, whom you gave me out of the world. Now look, the disciples did come. They were born in Adam just like everybody else. But the Father, as we just read, chose us in him before the creation of the world. Here, Christ is saying this to the Father. I have revealed you to those you gave me, whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So the disciples did just as the Father thought. Right? He says, yeah, I'm going to choose these certain ones. These ones are saved. He's into, this does not include Judas Iscariot, who did not believe. But these are the ones who did believe. And this is there was a specific plan for them. Not only were they called to be Jews, but they are also called in the church. So they have a double calling. But the final destination for them is the church. So as I said, this is not general prayer. This is not this is very specific for the eleven and that he's talking about in context. But in our verse, it's not for them alone, obviously means that we have to go back, even though we're in verse 20, we need to go back and we are identified with the 11 in a very specific way. So that's what verse 20 does. It links Jesus's prayer all the way back from those 11 that he was specifically referring to and he broadens it with us right they're the foundation we are the building anyway let's keep going <clears throat> so that was point c right not for them alone this is, this is not a general prayer it's specific to the 11 disciples who were the fathers and were given to jesus point d in our notes the prayer was not for israel Gentiles or the world in general. Just an, a quick point of reference for us to keep in mind because it helps us to orient to the fact that this is about you. It, you. I'm pointing right now, but I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. I'm pointing at all of you. This prayer speaks to you. And of course, it tells a lot about who we are. It is not to us in the sense that he's talk, he's pivoting to the disciples and talking about them to their face. He's talking to the Father about the disciples that he called and that the ones that were given to him from the Father. He's saying all of this has come full circle. And I'm praying for them. But them is us, according to this. <clears throat> I'm not praying for them alone. That's the point in point D. Just put it all together. 
I think you have done that, hopefully. Point E, they were chosen by the Father, Ephesians 1, 4, to be in Christ. And they were apparently specific instructions that Jesus needed to complete. And this is reflected in verse 4 and 8. Jesus says in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He's not even talking about all the work that was given to him to do. Well, how did he finish it? Wait a minute. You know, I thought about it. And I remember when we taught, we taught this verse in verse 4, I spoke of, well, what is all the work that Christ has to do? And I also mentioned the salvation work where he has to pay, go to the cross, be judged for the sins. And that judgment would be, have to be satisfying to the Father's plan. He has to judge Christ enough to where he is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. All that's part of the work Christ has to do while he's here on the earth. Christ is not saying, he's not even referring to that work. And I just brought it out to be broad. But when I look at these verses and, you know, in hindsight, what I realize is why could Christ say this? That he finished it. It's because he's not referring to the atonement work. He's referring to the work that he had to do for the church. That's exactly what he's saying here. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Even though he's going to do the other work, yes, but he's specifically talking about the work that he's getting ready, that he has already done with the disciples, those 11, and then for those who believe in me through their message. Because guess what? In 50 days, the new dispensation begins and the, the church is the focal point of everything now the father's eternal plan is becoming realized manifest so and then verse 8 says for i gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them they knew with certainty that i came from you and they believed that you sent me and then that's what verse 9, I pray for them, right? So, so we can see that it's specific. It's not just, um, you, know, you know, general information here. They were specific instructions that Jesus needed to complete. And when he says, I finished the work, well, that's what he's referring to. Because what does he go on to say? He doesn't say, I have paid for the sins of the world. He doesn't say, I, I have been judged and you're sad. He doesn't say any of that right here. He continues with the context of telling us what he finished. What did he, what did he do? He cho he, those are the ones that you said you gave them to me. I went and I chose each one of them. And we went to Luke and we saw how that when the disciples were there, he wasn't just saying, hey, uh, I'm, just follow me. He had to pick out those 12 disciples out of others that were there. And those were the ones that the Father told him to pick. And he did the work. Others came up to him. He says, can I follow you? And it wasn't given by the Father. I remember the man who was the demoniac, who was crazy, cutting himself and all this stuff. And people looked at But then Jesus cast out the demons that were in that man. 
And that man came to his right mind. And he wanted to follow Jesus. He said, let me be one of your disciples. I want to follow you. Which is a natural response. I, I think that would have been mine too. But no, he says, no, no. You go back to where you're from and let the people know you have a testimony about what happened to you. And they know, they saw you in the way you were before. And now they get to see you in your right mind. What a testimony that will be. You go do that. And that's what that man did. So he did not get to follow Jesus. This is a very special calling because it turns out that these 11 disciples are later, as Luke says, to be the apostles to the church. So you don't just get to be an apostle. It's interesting how people today want to take upon themselves the title, I'm apostle so-and-so. But when we look at this and see what it took to be an apostle to the church, I don't see how any of us could claim that we have such a title. It specifically was for these 11, no doubt. And we know what the 12th apostle was, or who he was. It was the apostle Paul, chosen directly by the Father to be in Christ. That's point F. Let's keep going in our notes. It's not for them alone right so my prayer is not for them alone so there are others that are indeed in view that are related to this group of 11 disciples jesus sees the fruit of their labor so when we say we can clearly say we're not the 11 right I, i hope you don't think you're one of the 11 apostles disciples apostles no that's specifically for them and the Apostle Paul. I should say the 12. So we could say we're not one of them, but we're related to them. So what Jesus is saying, he says, I'm not saying this for them alone. So that means somehow we're related to those 11. And we talked about how we are related. They are the foundation. They're in the foundation, the foundation of the church. We're going to read that coming up, Apostles, Prophets, and the next point. But we are not the foundation. There's a difference between the foundation and us. But the difference is not that we're different from them. It's just that we stand on the foundation that they created. That's who we are. We're unique in that sense. So let's look at this. Where were we? Point F. And we said... Uh, Jesus sees the fruit of their labors, is John 15, 26, and 27. Let's look at that. 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Now, when, when did that happen? Because the whole verse starts out with when. We, we need to know when that is, when the advocate comes, the Spirit of truth. It's very clear who we're talking about. And we know that that time happens because of, uh, we can look back, it already happened. It's Pentecost, which is 50 days later from Passover. We know that that's when God decided to send the spirit of truth to the earth. So, I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, 
he will testify about me. So we got two testimonies going on. The spirit of truth will testify. And you know, the spirit of truth has two things. It's not just, let me testify to you about the church age. The spirit of truth is coming. If we go to John 16, 8 through 11, he's talking about he will testify to the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And then he also has to testify about this special age. I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, right, he will guide you into all truth. So we know there's a second testimony that he has. So essentially, it's like what we have gravitated toward when it comes to what this church is all about. It's two-pronged. One is we believe we believe that God wants us to go out and to make sure that the gospel is clear to everybody we can, right? It is good. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved, says 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, right? Who wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So those two things, two different things, are... Uh, basically basically said in the, in that one verse. Once all men to be saved. That's one of the things we should be about and to come to the full knowledge of truth. That's number two. The, the second thing we should all be about in the church. And look at what the, the Holy Spirit's work is. One, eight, John 16, 8 through 11, works, his works are about salvation. Right, to bring people to the knowledge of Christ and to help them. It says, because men do not believe in me, Jesus said. Right? So the Holy Spirit's job is to turn the hearts of men to Christ. That's the same job we have under the Holy Spirit's ministry. And then two, the second part of the job he, that the Holy Spirit has is to testify about Christ when it comes to um, growing up in, in this new age. So look at this. And then he says in verse 27, and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. And, and when he says you also, he's talking to the 11. He says, you have been with me from the beginning. So this is important for um, people. There's a special group here, this 11. That Christ is singling out in this discourse. And he's helping them to understand who they are in, in this new age that's dawning very soon. Within a matter, before two months are passed, this is going to happen. So, so you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So this is why I say Jesus sees the fruit of their labor. Right? He, he's recognizing it when he says it's not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message. Right? And this is important for us. Point G in our notes. Uh, again, not for them alone, that phrase again. So earlier in the chapter, we could clearly see that Jesus was praying for the 11 disciples. Extending this now means that we were indeed a part of this special calling with the disciples. And I already gave the relationship of how we're related. We're not apostles. We're not part, we're not the 11, but we are some, 
we are related to them in this way. Here it says um, that we are built on, this is Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. So this is how God brought this New Testament revelation, apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So these apostles and prophets, we don't have to talk about who Christ Jesus is. We know he's the chief cornerstone. But who are these apostles and prophets? And you go to chapter 3, it says... Uh, Two, three, two, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So the administration of God's grace, that's the dispensation of grace, right? It's a new age. And what is it? Verse three, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. So if this new information was a mystery, right, that means who was it hidden from? It wasn't hidden from us because it's now revealed, right? But who was it hidden from? Israel. Previous dispensations did not know about this dispensation. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. And what is it? That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which for ages was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit. Same thing we've been talking about when the Spirit comes. To God's, who did the Holy Spirit reveal it to? To God's holy apostles and prophets. So there you have the term apostles and prophets again. But notice it's in conjunction with the mystery. So it is clearly not Old Testament prophets that this information was revealed to. Because it, it, the point Paul is making is that it was hidden from them. It is New Testament prophets, not Old Testament. And obviously, apostles. Some apostles were also prophets. That's how God's revelation, the new revelation, came through them who who what we have already seen from 220 is part of the foundation of the of the church apostles prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone right so that's point g point h the coming of the spirit of truth <clears throat> is part of this calling in a large way the coming of the Spirit of Truth is a part of this calling in a large way. We already saw the scriptures. We're going to go through them really fast. Just it's a refresher course for the discourse as well. So John 14, <clears throat> 16 and 17. So let's read that. Uh, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be and will be in you. <clears throat> so there it is. The Holy Spirit lives with them. Why? Because they couldn't understand anything without the spirit. That the spirit enlightens us to spiritual information. Nobody can hear and understand spiritual information apart from the aid of God the Holy Spirit. That was his job 
and was always his job, his job, even in the Old Testament. But he says he's, he's with you, but he will be in you. So then there's going to be a difference. Uh, and then, so there's other verses to consider um, in point H. And so uh, 20 through 23, let's look at that, 20 through 23. On that day, what day is that? Pentecost. You will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. He, remember, how is this happening? Through the facilitation of the Holy Spirit, which he has told us about. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love them and show myself to them. And I'm skipping to verse 23 because Judas, not Judas Iscariot, had a question. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, <clears throat> and we will come to them and make our home with them. And then verse 25 and 26, all this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So these verses help us understand that the spirit of truth is an indelible part of this age. And then 1613 <clears throat> says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And there's more, obviously, but I'm just making the point here. Point I in our notes. The new age began when the spirit of truth arrived at Pentecost. And if you look at Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 it says this, once on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we know Jesus ascended after 40 days, and then uh, 10 days later, Pentecost came, and that is when the Spirit of Truth arrived on the earth. Now, did they understand everything that we understand today? No. But it began to be revealed, this new age. And the apostles and prophets, remember, had to receive the revelation. And then they had to communicate it. So there was a, a gap of understanding. As the age began, everybody was still focused on Israel. Everybody's minds were still fixed toward Israel, but really God had shifted to the church. When did it happen? Pentecost. That was when these new dynamics of our spiritual life, where the Spirit is not just with us, but he's in us. And Jesus is saying, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And, he, and then he tells you how. He says, on that day, you will realize I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I am in you. Right? All of that it, those are the spiritual dynamics of this age. So it's important that we see that, 
when did it begin? All these things are important to the timeline of the church. And we could say, well, when did Israel begin? Well, what did it begin with Abraham? No. Isaac? No. Jacob? No. Is Even Israel, they were in captivity. They weren't a nation until Mount Sinai. That's when Israel began as a nation. Even though you could see the forming of them, you could see all the stuff that God was doing to prepare the nation and so forth, but it didn't start until Mount Sinai. So it is with the church. You see all the rumblings of what Jesus was saying, the introduction, the preparation, all of that. But when did it start? Pentecost. Okay. So let's keep going. We got the second half of the verse. I think we have time to complete it. Let's dig in. Uh, so the whole verse goes, I pray, uh, my prayer is not for them alone. Point number two, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, so first thought. In addition to the 11, there are also others in Jesus' mind who were chosen in him before the creation of the world. So John 17, 5 and 10 help to bring this out. John 17, 5 says, which is that verse that we spent three weeks on. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So the before the world began, there was a, there was a plan that was underfoot, that, that was being considered. And this was the plan that they executed. This was the plan that they said was going to glorify. And not only does it glorify the Father, but it glorifies Christ, as we see, we're going to see later. But now, this specific plan where Jesus is talking in verse 5 is not understood on the surface. Because this is Jesus talking about this plan to the Father. He's praying. He's not telling the disciples what this is. He's talking to the Father. But we can derive what it is from what he's saying. And then verse 10, he, Christ says, All I have is yours and all you have is mine. That's mutual possession. That's, what, that's, how, uh, that's, those, that's part of the dynamics of this age. Those dynamics were going on in Christ when he was here. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. That is what is going to be extended to us. And look at this. And glory has come to me through them. So uh, this verse, I remember just the, the thought of going through the details of this verse was very important to understanding verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I have with you before the world began. And then in verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. We're a part of something that happened before the world began. And obviously a plan. Glory speaks of a, a plan, the result of a plan. And we're part of that. And it just takes us back to, and he chose us in him before the creation of the world. It just, is a, it, 
we have to see that as a part of who we are in Christ. So those verses help us, reminds us of this. Point B, we clearly are not part of the 11, but we were certainly included in the Father's plan, right? Well, Romans 8, 29 and 30, let's look at that, um, says it here. 8, 29 and 30 says, for those God foreknew. So we already talked about the difference between foreknowledge and omniscience. This does not say God knows all. This is specific to those. Who are those? They're those people that Paul is referring to. Those are us. We are those. Well, my English is really being strained here. But we are those that Paul is referring to here that God foreknew. Foreknowledge is something that happened before time began. All of these words, foreknowledge, predestined, elected, all those words are before time began, before the earth was created. So watch, God had a plan. That's what this is to say. God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, if he chose us to be in him, and then the means by which we are conformed is what we call the baptism of the Spirit. That makes us like Christ. That identifies us with the person of Christ. That's what the baptism of the Spirit does. So all of that was conceived before the world began. He also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's like Christ. And those he predestined, those again, who are those? We are those. He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's 30. Yeah. That's what Christ says. And, and glory has come to me through them. Right? Glory has come to me through them. That's John 17, 10. Yeah. This goes back to, and Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that we figured before time began. It's happening. It's unfolding, Jesus is saying. Now. So let's keep going in our notes. Point C. I pray also for those who believe in me, right? So this phrase, for those who will believe in me. The church is different from Israel in this way. Uh, everyone in the church is eternally saved by grace. Israel is identified racially by those who are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So just making this point. And I'm going to make this point using Romans 9, which we were just in 8, so that shouldn't be a far stretch for you. 6 and 7. <clears throat> so this is just before Paul speaks about Israel. We're in verse uh, 4 and 5, where he says, The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs 
are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Boy, if you didn't know that Jesus was God, man, that verse unequivocally says it, right? If you didn't know it, like maybe you don't believe it, well, just read that verse, and then you have to just stand back and say, well, it says it. What am I to do with that? Anyway, that's not the point. Verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So notice. So he's going to talk about two things here. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Because you know why? Because <clears throat> even though racially you can have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but doesn't mean that that's God's ideal for you. And just as we discussed earlier in our Q&A session, just because you were called, you had a specific calling as a nation, Israel, it does not follow that you have salvation. Each person in Israel has to personally believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Of course, they didn't know Jesus Christ or but they had all sorts of ways to describe and what he would do and what he would say and how, when he would come and on and on. They had all that. So they were to put their trust in him for their soul's salvation. They neglected that. So that's true Israel is for those who not only have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but who also believe in Christ. That's what this 9-6 is saying. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And verse 7, because they're unbelievers. If they're unbelievers and they have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they're not going to be able to fulfill God's purposes. That that's, should be without go without saying. Verse 7, nor. So there's two things here. It's not just one thing. It's two things. For him to say, nor because they are his descendants. He's reiterating this whole point again to make another point. What is the second point he's making? Nor, because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. And he explains what he means by this. On the contrary, it is, not through, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For it, this is what the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. So he's talking about that the line goes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just because you are Abraham's seed, does you have you have to be a child of the promise. That means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham had many other children, and Abraham was very pivotal in this world from the standpoint of there will be many nations that would derive from Abraham. And there are many semantic nations in the world today. But what we're talking about, he's saying, is through Abraham. And God is the one who sovereignly chooses the nation Israel, Isaac. And then he goes into Isaac, and then he goes into Jacob, not Esau. So it is. So he's talking about two things in verses 6 and 7. That's my point to make. And I want to make sure we understood that all Israel, when we say all Israel, 
God has his idea. Now, when we see the children of Israel, when they left Egypt and God told them, just put, if you put this, uh, you know, blood over the doorposts, if you do that, I will pass over. And many did that. But God did say there was a mixed multitude. The children of Israel were not all believers. It was a mixed multitude. And it could be. We're talking about a nation. Even when you read the fourth commandment, right? It talks about even the stranger that is within your gates, right? Uh, there, there was a phrase there that used to always one one I would wonder about. What is this? Who is the stranger that is within my gates, right? He's talking about people who are not necessarily uh, Jews, who were not Israel, but they were a part of the nation nonetheless. So it's interesting. It was a mixed multitude. And to be in Israel, you, racially speaking, there were two things to be part of Israel, a child of the promise, and then a believer. You had to believe in Christ. Those, as we have seen from what the Apostle Paul has told us. So, um, so we're in point number two. I know we've digressed a little bit. We read 9, 6, and 7. That was point C. Uh, just to understand that. Point D, which is why we have the unusual passage about Israel in Romans 11, 28, and 9. So Romans 11, 28, and 9, we've read a lot of times. But by this time, you should be able to quote it. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Who's he talking about? They Israel. But as far as the as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. So the gospel, what's you mean they're enemies? They're not saved. That's what that is to say. But yet, at the same time, he's saying his covenant to those people. God will restore Israel. God will bring them back online. Right now they're not. But they have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's God's promise to this world. And through, through this nation, all other nations will be blessed. And God does continue, even though there are enemies. This brings another point where Jesus said, love your enemies. Be good to those who are to despitefully use you, right? And obviously here, God loves his enemies. Even though they're his enemies, he still regards them, and it says, because of the calling. His gifts and cause are without repentance, without, will not be revoked. So this is just something for us to think about when it comes to Israel. People could be in Israel and... Part of those who are loved by God from the standpoint of his covenant, his calling, his purpose for them. But as far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies. They don't believe. They're unbelievers. I say it's unusual, this verse. But we have it in Romans 11, 28 and 29. There it is. But it tells you something. That Israel is not like the church. Because the church is different. Everybody that's in the church is saved. 
Everybody. There's no exceptions. You've got to come through the door of salvation or else you're not in the church. So that's just a point to make. Point E in our notes. We're moving forward. I see time is leaving us. So we have to move forward. Point E. Jesus is the object of salvation for all mankind. He is the Savior of the world. So he always was. It wasn't that he was only for the Jews. He was for the whole world. And that's what John 1.29 says. John the Baptist was looking out and he saw Jesus heading toward uh, him. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus was. Yeah, he, he was the Lamb of God. All the sins were imputed to him and judged. God used him in order to bring reconciliation to the world for those who would believe or even offer salvation. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Point F. Salvation is not the point here in uh, for the 11 because it, it, it is our special calling that is in view in this new age. Right? That's, it's not about salvation. To note, the 11 were already saved at this point in time. So they were. When you think about it, what God was telling Peter, James, John, all the disciples, was not that you're going to receive salvation at Pentecost, but there's this new age, this new calling that you're going to have at Pentecost. I, they were already saved. They were just as saved as they ever were. Uh, Pentecost came. It didn't do anything with regard to their salvation. They were already saved. And that's the point. It's about our calling. It's about their calling. The new calling. And that is what is important for us to understand. That we're saved in a moment in time. We're not saved and then God says spend all your time trying to be saved that would be a contradiction of terms God is logical spiritually speaking he's logical if he tells us that we're saved then we don't that means we don't have to worry about being lost if, if we have to worry about being lost he shouldn't be telling us that we're saved right he's telling us to relax right not worry about trying to do works for salvation but there are other things for us to do, and that is to focus now on our calling, focus on growing up in Christ. So point G right, is through their message. So I pray also for those who will believe in me. Point G is through their message, the gospel. That's, <laughs> that is it. That's the entryway into the church. And for those who will come after the eleven. How would they be able to answer their call? How could they? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So in other words, we saw how the disciples were already saved, but how are other people going to be included in Christ? How is it going to happen for them? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. There it is. I mean, it can't be any more clear than that. Thank you, God, through the Apostle Paul. There it is again. How did it happen? 
included in Christ is part of your calling. It's not, it's not salvation because people were saved and they were not included in Christ. They were not raised up with him and seated in the heavenly realms and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. They were saved eternally, but they didn't have this calling. How did we get this calling? Because we weren't believers when we started out in Adam. We had to get there, though. So here's how it happened. And you were also included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit took up residence in your body. All those ministries of the Holy Spirit happened for you. Baptism, filling, sealing, right? This We're going to talk about sealing here. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory? Our calling. That all is about our... That's not about our salvation, that's about our calling. It has an inheritance attached to it, to the praise of his glory. So that's very specific to the church, right? So we, you don't, you, if you're in the church, that means you had to come this way. You had to believe the message of truth, the gospel. Who has the gospel right now? Would you go to Israel to get the gospel? Would you go to the Jewish leaders? Right? No, you would not. You would go to the church, somebody who's in the church. Right? And all of that came from the apostles and prophets who were the founding members. And Jesus is saying, those who will believe on me through their message. Now, the church now takes the mantle of God's representatives on the earth. We took it from Israel. And now Israel will get it back later. But right now, we have it. We are those who, he says, whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven, Jesus says. If people make their commitments on earth, that will stand in heaven. If, we're, if, if they're saved, then they will be saved forever. Just like that's basically what he's saying. Those who will come after the eleven. How would they be able to answer their call? Well, they have to believe the message that the apostles gave, the gospel. There it is. And then I'm going to close with this one verse here. It's, uh, this, this is 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. To reiterate, this is good and pleases God our Savior. So why do we include verse 3? Because it's important. Because we know this is what we should be doing. This is something that's good. You want to talk about what good works are? Here it is. This is good. God considers this good. And he is pleased with it. And that means it's his will. Who wants all people to be saved. And this is our responsibility as ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? A minister of reconciliation. We get that from 2 Corinthians 5. We are ministers of reconciliation. That's good. Performing the task, the role that God has assigned to us will be good works. It's good and pleases God, our Savior. You can bet that when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to be pleased with this work if you are engaged in it, that that's what you're doing while you're here on the earth. 
who wants all men to be saved and this is also what we ought to be doing or fostering who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth it's not just hearing uh, the Old Testament or this is relevant specific information that pertains to us God's which when I say it just pertains to us it means God's eternal purpose like Christ said, and glory has come to me through them, right? This is what pleases God, our Savior. And the knowledge of the truth only can come from the spirit of truth. And knowledge here doesn't just mean right, surface knowledge. But this word is not just gnosis, it's epinosis, which means deep knowledge of the truth. In other words, the deep things of God. The meat of the word. Not just the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. That all people to be saved and come to the, be saved is the milk of the word. And to come to the knowledge of the truth, that's the meat of the word. So we got to be about both things here. Can't just talk about salvation uh, to, to the end that once you're saved, then you should be pivoting so that you can grow up. And it takes meat. You can't just live on milk, especially if you're lactose intolerant. But that's the point I'm making, is you've got to move forward in your spiritual life. So, we're going to continue with these classic verses in this passage next week, uh, where we'll cover verse 21, which says that all of them, and he continues with more characteristics of who we are, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So stay tuned as we, uh, God willing, will be here next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We are grateful for your grace, not only your saving grace, but your sovereign grace that has brought us to this place in 2022 where we are identifying with those who are in Christ and Christ himself. We thank you for this calling and that we are those who are conformed to the very image of your son. Thank you for the words that uh, we read today. The words, we, we thank you for the entire prayer, the whole, entire discourse that you've given us. Uh, you prepared those 11 for this calling, and now you are preparing us so that we may properly represent you and come to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake as we continue our journey. It is in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.